And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. But very effective. Now Burrow going to launch downfield for Chase, who's got it! Touchdown, LSU! With the 26th pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Jordan Love, quarterback, Utah State. I'm here with Fun Guy. Where's tomorrow? Fun Guy, what's up, baby? What it do, baby? Yeah, you already know. Two men, one Vikings fan, one Bills fan, coming to you during a pandemic and bringing you guys like sports. Hi, I'm Curtis Henry. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Rose, as always. And we have another special episode of Guys Like Sports on deck as we continue to evaluate the NFL draft in 2020. Mike, how excited are you for tonight's episode? I'm fired up. I love the NFL draft, and there's no sports besides the NFL draft right now. So I'm ready to go, ready to break it down. I got all the flaming hot takes. It's going to be a good one. You can't see this live as we're recording, but Mike Rose actually has a silhouette of fire surrounding his entire body at this very moment. The guy is on, you know, he's on watch right now. He's highly combustible. We love Mike Rose. We love the draft breakdown. And for our uh, listeners at home, probably – probably getting a little sick of the NFL draft. But we came into this podcast journey at the time of the NFL draft with a couple-week period where we had time to do a preview. We had the exclusive round one draft recap that came out right after Thursday's first round. And now we got to deep dive into the whole thing, right? So really, we're just victims of circumstance at this point, but we're really excited about this episode. So after this journey through the AFC and the NFC, hopefully that puts to rest the NFL draft talk for at least a little while here on Guys Like Sports. That being our preface, Mike, you ready to get into this thing? Let's get into it. How we're going to go about this, we're going to go through each division, we're going to go through each team, we're going to assign a grade, each of us, and we're going to talk about what we liked and what we didn't like for each team in the NFL. So let's jump off with the AFC West. And what better place to begin than with the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Mike, what do you got for me? Well, first, let me just say that the AFC West got pretty easily the worst grade as a division for me. So nobody in this division, I think, did well in the NFL draft, particularly. But let's start with the Super Bowl champs, Kansas City Chiefs. We talked about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, their first pick. Uh, in the draft, obviously, that they took 32nd overall. Willie Gay Jr., the inside linebacker in the second round, that is my best pick from them. I really like Willie Gay. Good cover guy. He should slide in and help that linebacking court immediately. They didn't add a whole hell of a lot besides that. They got a, a tackle, Niang, who, who's a solid player, Legereus Sneed. It could be good for him. He's not going to play a lot immediately, but I think he plays very similarly to Tyron Matthew, so maybe learn some things from him. But I think for me, the overall grade I gave them is a C. Uh, I think Edwards Elaire, even though he's a really good fit for this offense, I still don't like the value of taking a running back at the 32nd overall pick, especially a running back who I don't think is the top running back in this class personally. 
So, you know, when we talked about our first round draft breakdown, we were like, you know, Edwards Hilaire, great fantasy pick. He'll, he'll thrive in this offense. And I'm, I'm with all that. But in terms of the value of the pick we're getting of Edwards Hilaire, I wasn't a fan. Mike's going to die on that hill of you can't draft running backs in the first round. You could, it no. could be Barry Sanders coming off the board. And he's going to be like, that was a stupid pick. So to be honest, throughout this, you're going to realize I, I didn't like any of the running back picks that went early because I don't think it's a good value taking a running back early. So there'll be a theme. For me, I understand that longevity of running backs is lesser than other positions in the NFL, but Clyde Edwards, Elair, great pick at 32. Because you think, hey, here's the Chiefs offense. Best in the league, Patty Mahomes, he's slinging touchdowns. You got Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, Miko Hardman stretching the field. All that that offense was lacking was a game-breaking running back, and they went out and got one. From a perspective of the rich getting richer, the Chiefs got better in the draft. I think Clyde Edwards-Elair is a great schematic fit, and if you got a guy that you're really sold on, 32nd overall pick in the draft, go out and get him. Willie Gay Jr., I agree with Mike. He's a great pick. Good value there at the end of the second round. Maybe a day one starter. We'll see about it. Should be a day one starter with their linebacking core because that's one of the weaker parts of their defense. They have a lot of aging guys at that spot, so he should be able to slide in and make a pretty immediate impact. Yeah, so Chiefs for me, a little bit better on my uh, grade scale than Mike. I give him a B-, minus. I think his grades are going to be a little more stingy than mine, especially when it comes to the teams that took running backs early. And so I'll give them a B minus. I think that they're in good shape to uh, be the first repeat champions that we've seen since the Patriots. Any other words on the Chiefs, Mike? Uh, No, that that pretty much summarizes the Chiefs. Don't take running backs. Yeah, that's all I got for them too. I think days two and three, they drafted, uh, you know, three or four guys that are more A lot of developmental projects. And when you're the reigning Super Bowl champions – you don't need guys who are going to make it an impact, especially when you're the Kansas City Chiefs and you brought back almost every starter from your team that won the Super Bowl, which is exactly what they did. So, I mean, they didn't need to add a whole lot. They didn't add a whole lot. They're still one of the best teams in the league. Correct. Moving elsewhere in the AFC West, the Los Angeles Chargers. I think Mike is going to have a spicy couple of takes for us here. What's your, what's your take on the Chargers draft class, Michael? So the Chargers got the fourth lowest grade on my entire board. They get a D plus uh, from me. Uh, I hate the Justin Herbert pick. I think he's just just a terrible value at the sixth overall pick. I think that he's really no better than Jordan Love, who went pick 26. Uh, they gave up their second and third round picks to move up and take Kenneth Murray. Kenneth Murray's a player I like, but to lose all of your day two picks in a draft this deep just seemed like a – a bit of an overpay. Uh, they take a running back in round four, which is just – don't take running backs. Joe Reed, nice player in round five. Uh, they add a little bit of a project safety in round six. And then K.J. Hill, who I think is probably their best pick of the whole draft in terms of value, in the seventh round, K.J. Hill is going to have a chance to compete uh, for pretty immediate playing time out of the slot there in L.A. But, yeah, overall, I give this give this class a D plus. It just seemed like – they reached a lot. They overpaid a lot. You know, I think Herbert is not worth the sixth overall pick, and I don't think Kenneth Murray is worth giving up to 
day two picks to move up and get, even though I really like Kenneth Murray. I think he's going to be a really outstanding player for the Los Angeles Chargers. Let me just put that out there. But, you know, when I'm grading these picks, I do it in terms of the value you're getting. And I think with that second and third round pick, you could have added an inside linebacker and then also added another impact player. And I do just want to note, though, like the Chiefs, this is one of the best rosters in football, in my opinion. They don't have a lot of holes. And I think they had a really nice offseason in terms of shoring up the offensive line, which is a big problem there uh, last year. So overall, not a lot of holes. But I think that the players they added, while they will have decent impacts, I don't like the values and spots at which they acquired them. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm with you, Mike. I hate the Justin Herbert pick when we talked about round one the other night in the recap that we did. I thought that at pick six, they could have gone with Isaiah Simmons. And then if they really wanted to trade up for a QB, I think they could have gone after Jordan Love there late in the first round or potentially even traded up for Justin Herbert because I think he would have kept falling if they, if he wasn't taken there at six. So no one was taking him besides them at six. Like let's, let's just talk about this real quick because Love fell to 26, and nobody thought that made much sense. Nobody took a quarterback on day two except for the Eagles inexplicably taking Jalen Hurts. No one was taking these guys. They might have been able to get Jordan Love in the second round. Maybe the Packers or maybe the Packers like Love better than Herbert. Herbert might have been there in the second round. Like, if we're being really serious about this, because there is not a lot of teams right now that need quarterbacks. You want to figure out that nobody needs quarterbacks? Cam Newton and Jameis Winston were sitting in free agency during this whole draft. There's just not a lot of teams that needed quarterbacks right now. So I think the Chargers being one of the, like, five teams that were going to draft a quarterback here could have just waited and gotten Justin Herbert a lot later. Yeah, I agree. And and so they forfeited on the opportunity to get one of the surefire studs in this class at pick six, whether it was an offensive lineman or Isaiah Simmons. And then they trade up for Kenneth Murray, who I like, but they did it at the expense of all their day two draft capital, which you alluded to. So, yeah, K.J. Hill in round seven was a steal. Best pick of the draft for them. And I gave the Chargers, I didn't give them quite a D-plus, but I gave them a C-. Obviously, that's arbitrary. We're going to look like idiots if Justin Herbert goes out this year and leads the Chargers to the playoffs. I don't think Justin Herbert's going to play a game this year. I disagree because – I don't think he'll start. So, I endured the – Tyrod Taylor experience in Buffalo. And let's talk about Tyrod Taylor for a second. You mentioned the Chargers having one of the best rosters in football. I don't disagree with you. Derwin James, they got Bosa on the line. They got Eckler, Keenan Allen. They got Hunter Henry. They got skill position players. They're solid in the trenches. The Chargers have a stacked roster, and it's a deep one too. But at the quarterback position, they have Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert. I like Tyrod Taylor a lot. I think he's a solid fringe starting quarterback in the NFL. As he showed in Buffalo, he's capable of leading teams to the playoffs. Tyrod Taylor does not get enough credit as being the quarterback who ended the Buffalo Bills playoff drought of 20 years, right? So he in Los Angeles, I think, is going to see a lot of the same criticisms that he received in Buffalo because he is an imperfect quarterback. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's just not exciting. And the Chargers are going to have quite a few three and outs this year. And their fans are going to get fed up with it when they wasted 
due to management, the number six overall pick on Justin Herbert. So there's going to be some pressure from the fans to put Justin Herbert into the lineup. So he's going to play at some point. And Mike, ha- Mike has, uh, has something he wants to say on this, but that's my take on their quarterback situation. Bold of you to assume that the LA Chargers have fans. That, yes. They can't sell out a crowd of 20,000 playing at the LA Galaxy Stadium there in Los Angeles. But, yeah, I think there will be some pressure from the few All ten of them? between fans of the LA Chargers to play Justin Herbert this year. I think I agree with the fact that there will be some pressure. However, I think Anthony Lynn, you know, we, we you skip one spot in Tyrod Taylor's career, and that's Cleveland, where he was in a very similar situation. Baker Mayfield, number one overall pick. Tyrod started that season, very quickly was replaced by Baker. The fans really wanted to see Baker, blah, blah, blah. I think, you know, the two differences here is I don't think anyone really believes that Justin Herbert's ready to step in and start right now. And I think Anthony Lynn and Tom Telesco, GM of the LA Chargers, really believe in Tyrod Taylor. And I think he's working with a much longer leash than you or me or anybody else would probably give him or think he deserves. But I think that's what he has. And so I really believe that as long as the Chargers are winning football games, which I got to be honest, besides the Chiefs, I don't think the division's going to be very good. So I think they're going to be able to win a lot of football games. I think that Tyrod Taylor is going to get to start most of them. I don't disagree with Tyrod Taylor deserving a longer leash than he's had in the past, but we've seen the pattern with Tyrod Taylor where he starts, the team hovers around 500, and then because the team has a loaded roster around him or a perceived roster capable of winning, there is pressure to start someone else. In Buffalo, that guy wasn't Josh Allen that Tyrod Taylor lost out to. It was Nate Peterman. There was pressure to start Nathan Peterman over Tyrod Taylor. Which was ridiculous. Absolutely. Because Tyrod Taylor won 10 games with a Bills team that, quite frankly. Incorrect. He went 8 and 6 as a starter when they. Same thing. He made the playoffs with a Bills team that, quite frankly, was not as good as people make it out to be. This isn't this year's Bills team that's loaded at all positions. That was a good Bills team. That was a very young Bills team, and that was still a rebuilding Bills team. And Tyrod Taylor got him to the goddamn playoffs, and he never has gotten any credit for it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that anyone wanted to start the worst quarterback in the league, the history of the league besides for Jake Fromm, and Nathan Peterman at quarterback is just absurd. Yeah, I agree. But we got to keep it moving here for the sake of time. If – the Chargers are hovering around 500 or below 500 through six or seven games, there's going to be pressure to start Justin Herbert based on the fact that he was the number six pick in the NFL draft. So we'll see what happens in Los Angeles. Over under three and a half starts for Justin Herbert this year. Over. I'll take the under. Okay. Put it on the board. Uh, Moving on. So we have the Denver Broncos, who I think had an interesting draft but I want to garner Mike Rose's thoughts before I go in on this draft class for Denver. Yeah, I think it was an interesting draft. I just uh, – I don't think it was a particularly great draft. But uh, they got some good players here. Jerry Judy, obviously my number two wide receiver on the board. They get him at 15, the number two wide receiver off the board overall in this draft. We talked about him in our first-round recap. He's, he's rock solid, as good as they come. He'll step right in and be a, a day one starter. They cut, turn around the second round. They take KJ Hamler. He's an interesting prospect. He had a lot of drops last year, but he's a burner. He should come in, play in the slot pretty immediately because the Broncos wide receivers around Cortland Sutton are bad. So KJ Hamler should be able to step in and get some pretty immediate steps. Uh, they go corner in the third round. Oh, they, they had three third round picks. So they go corner, center, and D tackle. 
interesting picks. Obviously, Chris Harris no longer with the team, so corner's definitely in need. Oja Mudia, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. I don't know how much of an immediate impact he's going to be able to have, but uh, he looks like he could be an all right prospect. Cushionberry is a, a solid center in there. Obviously, centers don't go very early, but uh, he should be a good player for them. And then uh, they get a big guy up front. And then they take uh, Albert O, which is what we're going to call him on here because I am not going to pronounce his last name, who was Drew Ock's teammate at Missouri. He's a burner, but unfortunately, he just never really produced as much as the physical traits really say he should. So I'm not terribly high on him. And then they get a, a nice guard late, a receiver, an outside linebacker, you know, the typical project players that you take late in the draft. So overall, I gave this grade, uh, I gave this draft a C plus grade. I really like Judy, uh, but I didn't like a ton else. I think they got a lot of projects, which isn't the worst thing in the world when you're a rebuilding team like they are, but they're like a rebuilding team with a lot of veterans. So I'm not really sure what the Broncos trying to do. Like Von Miller's still there trying to go win Super Bowls. So Denver's like stuck in the middle right now, and they're probably going to go like six and nine or seven and nine and be very mediocre. I think you summed it up very well right there. I have written down, they needed weapons, they got weapons. And in year two of the Drew Locke experience in Denver, they want to put this guy into the best position possible to succeed, which I can commend that front office for because we see a lot of times young guys come into situations that aren't established. You think about the situation that Baker Mayfield walked into two years ago and was expected to do something with. He actually excelled as a rookie but they don't always do the best job of taking care of their young quarterbacks so I think that was a point of emphasis for Denver I think that Jerry Judy obviously is a phenomenal value at 15 and I thought the KJ Hamler pick was a little bit of overkill at the wide receiver position after they drafted Judy and also have Cortland Sutton but he's a guy who translates to a slot receiver in the NFL and it signifies that they're really not sold on Deshaun Hamilton or Tim Patrick, which why should you be if those guys haven't shown you anything over the last two years? Tim Patrick can't stay healthy, and Deshaun Hamilton, who showed flashes a couple years ago as a rookie, really hasn't developed. So if that's the route you're going to take, I can't be mad about it. And I think that Albert Okwigubuna, I don't Albert O. Just call him Al- Albert O. Albert O, Big Al. Listen, even on the NFL draft covers, they call them Albert O. No, one, no one's trying to say this guy's name, so don't put yourself through it. I'm going to call him Big Al. He hits dingers, okay? So this is a guy who went to college with Drew Locke, and they should have a, a, a pre-established rapport there in Denver. Drew Locke was definitely happy to be getting one of his guys. I agree with you, C-plus for Denver. I don't think it was a bad draft, but what is the vision in Denver right now it's it's a curious time they went pretty heavy on on offense through their first six picks drafting two receivers tight end in the center and I think on the defensive side of the ball is where coming into the draft they had more pressing needs so can't argue with the Judy pick after that it gets a little questionable moving on the Las Vegas Raiders and I'm gonna start with the with the Raiders because I know Mike will want to finish the conversation with the Raiders so for me, Las Vegas, uh, this was a doozy. And I mentioned in our round one recap that the Raiders, they're doing an okay job. John Gruden, Mike Mayock, they have a vision. Sometimes that vision's a little inconsistent, all right? A little blurry. You got some smudges on your glasses, that kind of vision. So John Gruden, Mike Mayock, they like to think they know what they're doing. From the outside, 
it doesn't always appear that they know what they're doing. And going into the NFL draft, the Raiders had a lot of holes on that roster, point blank, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Las Vegas, take a shot every time I say it's the Oakland Raiders, in their first four picks, takes three wide receivers. And going into the draft, wide receiver was one of the deepest positions on the Raiders roster. It wasn't loaded with studs. Tyrell Williams, Hunter Renfro, Nelson Aguilar, those guys aren't studs. But you pair up Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs, that the skill position players on that offense aren't bad. So you can justify, uh, to one degree, the Henry Rugg selection going wide receiver in the first round. But taking two out of your next three picks, having them be more wide receivers, that wide receiver room is packed right now. And it was neglecting a lot of other needs on the roster. So Las Vegas, interesting tidbit during the draft. It was announced that Bill Belichick set the record for players drafted from one college coach because he selected his 10th player in the draft from a Nick Saban regime at Alabama. In the last two drafts, Mike Mayock and John Gruden have taken five Clemson Tigers from Dabo Sweeney. So look for that record to be broken and broken quickly at the rate the Las Vegas Raiders are becoming the Clemson Raiders. Mike, what do you got for me on this on this group of guys? Listen, I'm going to be honest. So you were you, we were we were in the Zoom call before we started hitting record, and I basically have upped the Raiders grade about five times since I first filled this out. I just lie while I was sitting here, upped it again. I initially did not like this Raiders draft. I got to be honest. I now have it at a B. I've upped it all the way up to a B. The more I look at the Raiders roster, they have a lot less holes than I think. We acknowledge, and I really think wide receiver was the one spot on the roster where I look at, and I don't think they had enough impact guys. And so they go out, they take, listen, we talked about it, Al Davis, we love speed, Henry Ruggs, Damon Arnett, I talked about, he's he's probably wasn't worth the 19th pick, but he's a lot better than you think. I love Lynn Bowden, he's one of my favorite players in this draft, he can literally do whatever you want on the football field, played quarterback at Kentucky last year, and then broke SEC quarterback rushing records, and he also got drafted as a wide receiver. Does it all. Brian Edwards, underrated wide receiver. We kind of all knew he was going to be a third, fourth-round guy, but he would be a second-round guy in a lot of other wide receiver drafts out of South Carolina. Uh, Tanner Muse, good safety out of Clemson. They take a guard. And then Amick Robertson, the corner, I think is the best nickel corner in this entire draft. They get him around four. So for me, the Raiders did a pretty good job, and I got to be honest, so Curtis, maybe we just didn't pay that close attention because the Las Vegas Raiders, and we don't really pay attention. But, you know, I'm just looking at the roster. In the secondary, they've had Demarius Randall and LaMarcus Joyner to that secondary this offseason. At the linebacking court, one of the worst spots on their team, they had Corey Littleton and Nick Kowatowski and Markel Lee to that linebacking court, who were three quality players. Up front, they added Jonathan Hakins up front. They're going to get Clone Farrell back from injury. They have Max Crosby, who had 10 sacks as a rookie last year. They got Carl Nassib on that defensive line. The offensive line for the Raiders has been solid for, for a few years now. They put a lot of money into that unit. So really, to me, you know, you got Josh Jacobs, obviously. To me, the wide receiver room was, was the spot where they needed to focus, and I think they did. I think they attacked it. I think Tyrell Williams should get traded because there's no need for him on this roster anymore because I like the rookies they drafted better than him. I give the Raiders a B. That's just too high. And you're, you're talking me into a position where I can say, eh, maybe, maybe the Raiders 
maybe I can give him a C. I have him at a D plus prior to you saying what you just said. But in a wide receiver draft class that was as deep as the one that we saw, you know, pan out 30, I believe it was 36 guys off the board at the wide receiver position, to take three of them with your first four picks, I think I still think it's irresponsible. It's like you with running backs in the first round. You just you can't. Remember they didn't have a pick after the fourth round. So when were they supposed to take those guys? Not with their first four picks. But they only made three more picks after that. I, I still don't – I still – take a guy in round four. But the guy in round four is not going to be as good as Lynn Bowden or Brian Edwards. They got three – listen, they made the wrong pick with Henry Ruggs. Just, like, just let's flat out say it. Jerry, Judy, and Lamb are both better receivers. Yes. But they drafted three very talented wide receivers who I think are all potential impact players on day one for the Oakland Raiders – or the Las Vegas Raiders. Take a shot, right? Um, yes. Listen, I, I, I like what I you're saying. I think they got five starters. I think I they like, might have drafted five starters. And, I, and that would be Amik Robertson, Edwards, Bowden, Arnett, and Ruggs, right? Yeah. You're, you're talking me up on this class. We've gone from a D-plus to a C-minus. C-minus I, I updated it from a C to a B. Okay. C- that, that's how much I talked myself into it. C-minus for me on the Raiders. We're moving on. Mike got his final final point across. The AFC South. Now, this is going to be a wide variance of grades here in the AFC South. Let's start with the Indianapolis Colts, who, in my opinion, had one of the better NFL drafts here this go-around of things, despite not having a, a pick in the first round, which they traded for DeForest Buckner. So good value there. But what did you think of the Colts draft, Michael? Uh, yeah, this is one of the 10 best drafts, I think, pretty easily. They take two of my my favorite sale guys in this entire draft, and Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor early in the second round there. Julian Blackman, the safety out of Utah, is a guy who is an absolute stud, and the only reason he's on the board in the third round is because he tore his ACL in the Pac-12 championship game. But he was a menace on the back end of that Utah defense all year. They take Jacob Eason. I don't like Jacob Eason. You know I don't like really any of these quarterbacks in this draft, but – this is a good landing spot for Jacob Eason. Frank Reich, great coach for quarterbacks. I think Phillip Rivers is a great guy for Jacob Eason to learn under. So that is a good fit. They had, you know, some depth up front on both sides of the ball with a, a guard and a defensive tackle. They grab another corner, and they had, they had three straight picks, by the way, in the sixth round, which I believe they said hadn't happened since, like, 2010. So that was a, a cool little tidbit. Uh, guy I want to talk about, Desmond Patman, the wide receiver. They took him round six. Keep an eye on him. He could be a guy who's uh, battling for some snaps pretty early on in Minneapolis. He's a big body. He can go up and win contested catches. I think they might want to use him in the red zone. They lost Eric Ebron this year. So he could be a guy that they uh, bring into red zone situations and try to utilize that size. So overall, I gave this draft a B plus. Michael Pittman was their best pick, by the way, in my opinion. Uh, guy, Michael Pittman's a stud, by the way. Michael Pittman should have went on day one. Michael Pittman is better than at least three of the receivers, in my opinion, that went on day one. Uh, I had him pretty high up on my receiver board. So really good draft by Andy. B-plus is my grade. And and for not even having a first-round pick, I give it a B-plus. You know, if you weight the fact that they made all of these picks after the first round, it probably goes up to an A-minus or an A. So I gave him an A-minus, and that was without the context that their first-round pick was DeForest Buckner. And DeForest Buckner is a hell of a player on that D-line. So the Indianapolis Colts, for my money, probably had one of the best three or four drafts overall uh, this year. And Michael Pittman, 
just going through this list a little methodically. You talked about a landing spot for Jacob Eason. Michael Pittman gets to fall into a spot where he doesn't have to be the number one guy right away. He'll get the opportunity eventually because T.Y. Hilton's not getting any younger and he can't stay healthy last couple years. So Pittman will work with an experienced guy like Philip Rivers. And I think that Pittman can kind of mold a little bit of his game after Keenan Allen and the way Rivers will look to get him the ball. They'll try to be on the same page that Rivers was with Keenan Allen. Simultaneously, T.Y. Hilton, much more of a speed guy, who excels at getting off the line. That's not one of Pittman's strengths. Pittman's a good route runner. He's got great hands. He's a big body. Hilton can teach him how to get off the line really well, I think. So Pittman falls into a really good situation, really good offense, where he doesn't have to be the guy, especially since they added Jonathan Taylor, they have T.Y. Hilton, they have Phillip Rivers. He'll develop, I think, a lot over the course of year one. Jonathan Taylor, this is another guy who match made in heaven. Marlon Mack can't stay healthy. And he's had a few years in Indianapolis, but I think we can both agree that Marlon Mack isn't the back that Jonathan Taylor is at his best. Not, listen, just let's. I'm just going to tell everybody straight up: Jonathan Taylor is going to go into Indianapolis. I don't care if the training camp lasts three days. I don't care if it lasts a one hour. They're going to watch Jonathan Taylor for an hour, and Marlon Mack will be the backup. Yeah, that should be the case. And Mike Rose, not a fan of drafting running backs early. When Jonathan Taylor came off the board at 41, Mike Rose said, that's a great pick. That's all you need to know about how good Jonathan Taylor can be if, if we're converting Michael Rose into a believer. And uh, one last note, Jacob Eason, Blackman, the safety out of Utah. We're going to talk a lot about the Utah Utes and the prospects that came out of that defense, which was a really, really underrated unit, just at least from the optics of where these guys were drafted. But Jacob Eason could not have fallen into a better situation for him to maximize his potential. Frank Reich, as you alluded to, great with quarterbacks. Jacob Eason is a statue. He can't move. He sits in the pocket and he slings it. Phillip Rivers kind of fits the same mold. Phillip Rivers has never been a mobile guy. He just loves playing football. He loves to win. Doesn't have the strongest arm, but he sits back there. He sits in the pocket. He makes good reads. He slings the ball down the field. And, And Jacob Eason, that's a guy who he can learn from. So the Rivers and Reich pairing, as well as Jacoby Brissett, still still exists in Indianapolis. Those are three guys that I think can teach Jacob Eason a lot. And Jacob Eason doesn't have any sort of pressure really to do anything in the NFL. He will make the most out of that situation. We'll see if he can develop over the course of the next few years into somebody who starts any games at the NFL level. Any other thoughts on this? What was really a talented class for Indianapolis, Mike? I just want to get my parting thought on Jonathan Taylor. Just give you some context on how good Jonathan Taylor is, folks. Jonathan Taylor averaged, this is his average per season, 2,100-plus yards from scrimmage per year the last three years. The guy is an absolute monster. And that was without, catching, that was without catching passes till he was a junior. Right, and he doesn't catch passes at all, really. And he has good hands. They just Wisconsin can't throw the ball anyway, so they just hand it to him. And he goes behind a Colts offensive line that's probably one of the five best in the league, I would say. I just think, really, when you look at really these top four players, they all are not only you know players that we're we had decently high on the board, but also great fits for what the Colts are doing and what they need these guys to do. 
So overall, I think the Colts did a great job, not only addressing their needs and getting talented guys, but getting great fits. Yeah, I'm not going to dispute that at all. Let's move forward. The AFC South outside of Indianapolis, a little bit messy. Let's talk Jacksonville Jaguars. And one thing we kind of texted back and forth throughout the draft and said, competent teams are being competent, incompetent teams are, are being incompetent. What can you tell me about the Jacksonville Jaguars class? A group that I know you've kind of, it's kind of grown on you the last couple of days, this, this Jaguars draft class. So if you listen to our first round recap, I shit all over the Jaguars because I don't like CJ Henderson. I think it was a terrible value at nine. And I think uh, Clayvon Chason is just an absolute reach at 20 because he never really produced worth a damn at LSU. However, after that, I think they got some pretty good values. You get LaVisca Chenault in the second round. I don't know where he really fits in the Jacksonville offense, but he can do a little bit of everything. So they'll find. I, I like to believe they'll find a way to utilize him. Uh, you get Davon Hamilton, a good good run plugger up front. They lost Clayus Campbell. He should fill that void. Ben Barch at tackle. He has a shot to compete for that last tackle spot opposite Jawan Taylor uh, pretty immediately, I would say. I don't know if he's going to quite win that job immediately, but down the road, he has a pretty good shot of taking that job. And they had a lot of picks in this draft, by the way. Josiah Scott, the corner, is a guy who could be a solid contributor immediately, especially in a cornerback room that's basically emptied out over the last 12 months. Shaq Quarterman's a guy who I thought was a day two pick for sure. He falls around four. He's a really talented linebacker that was on a really crappy team. Miami University is awful nowadays. And I believe Shaq Quarterman was the first Miami player off the board, by the way, in round four, pick 34 of the fourth round. So that should tell you how much of a disaster they are. But he's a good player. Colin Johnson's a big body receiver. Uh, he should be able to come in. He, he's another guy that might use him in the red zone early on and hope to develop him from there. So really – I like what they did after day one. And, you know, it's one of those things, it's it's similar to the Chargers where I, I don't necessarily hate Henderson, the player. I hate where they took him. You know, I don't hate Kenneth Murray, the player. I hate what they gave up to get him. I don't like Chase on the player at all. I think he stinks. But that's besides the point. Jacksonville overall, I gave him a B, B minus maybe. You know, I'm, I'm they, were, they were right on that kind of, you know, right on that edge for me, BB minus area. But overall, I think they did an all right job. You know, it's Jacksonville. They're never going to hit it out of the park, unfortunately, because that's just what Jacksonville does. I think my one gripe with them is Gardner Minshew still the starting quarterback and Jameis Winston's in New Orleans Saints. So really, they just blew that one already. And they didn't trade Yannick Ngakwe or Leonard Fournette, which is bizarre because you really could have traded Ngakwe for a first or a second round pick, I think, at some point. Somebody somebody would have given you a second-round pick for Yannick and Gakway. Let's just be real. Somebody liked them enough to do that, and they didn't get that done. So that was a little disappointing. But BB- minus could have been better, but it wasn't a complete disaster like some other teams. So I actually agree and disagree with you. Um, I agree that after their first two picks, they did substantially better. I love – I might be in the minority here. I really liked the LaVisca Chenault pick. He was a guy I had a first round grade on. Again, injury concerns are what brought his stock down a little bit after he was kind of a consensus top 15 overall pick going into August of that of the last college football season. So LaVisca Chenault, good player off the board, uh, second round there. I think he makes a really nice compliment to DJ Chark there if they're trying to have two good outside receivers and then D.D. Westbrook sliding in there in the middle. Another guy who I like out of this draft class for Jacksonville, Ben Barch out of St. John's, Minnesota. 
he is a mauler. They showed this guy the highlights. I spent way too much time watching Ben Barch tape after he was picked because, A, I hadn't heard of the guy going in much before he was selected, and, B, D3 guys who get drafted, shout out Cecil Shorts, former Jacksonville Jaguar great, Uh, D3 guys who get drafted always are interesting to me. So Ben Barch is a massive dude, and he should really come into Jacksonville, have an opportunity to compete for a starting job on what's kind of a mediocre offensive line. They got him in the fourth round. Based on his size and his athletic upside, I think he could long-term be a really good piece for Jacksonville. But I, my biggest flaw with the Jags draft class is, you, you mentioned it, they didn't get rid of Yannick Ngakwe. If you want to hold on to Leonard Fournette, that's fine. They didn't draft a running back. They seem committed to that guy. But Yannick Ngakwe needed to go. And now they have to wait until the 2021 draft class to see the results, to reap the results of that trade. And uh, Mike wants to chime in right here. So I'm just kind of scrolling through Twitter uh, while I was listening to you here. And just something interesting to note because it relates to the Jaguars and the Titans who we're going to talk about in a second. So obviously Jadavion Clowney is still a free agent. Mm-hmm. And Yannick Ngakwe on the trade block. And Seattle, who he knows wants to bring Clowney back, but if they can't get Clowney, they probably wouldn't be afraid to trade for Yannick Ngakwe. They just, in the last few hours, released both DJ Fluker and Justin Britt, which opens up about $13 million in cap space. So they have right now about $20 million in cap space, which is about what it would cost for Ngakwe or Clowney. So I think that's something to keep an eye on maybe because there's been a lot of buzz about Clowney pretty much being a done deal to the Titans leading up to the draft, and they were just waiting until after the draft to make it official. And obviously, we'll talk about the Titans draft in a second. So Seattle could be an Ngakwe landing spot potentially, and maybe they just needed Seattle to wait to free up the money. I mean, just because we're talking about why they didn't trade Ngakwe, maybe they've been talking to Seattle and Seattle just had to wait to free up money. That, that I guess, could have been a potential stumbling block there. I really hope that's the case. Because pure speculation here, by the way. I'm yeah, not speculation. You know, anything. If that's the case, it would make a lot of sense. It would actually be a much better look for the Jacksonville Jaguars than if they were just too incompetent to move him on day one or two of the draft. Because for my money, all the picks that the Jags had, I think they made. Fact check me if I'm wrong. I think they made 12 picks in this draft. If they had taken Ngakwe and maybe a fourth or a fifth round pick, that's more than enough to get them a third first round pick. And they did make 12 picks. Yeah. So take, take Yannick, take a, a fourth and a fifth round pick, ship him somewhere like a Seattle, get a first round pick and, and chase a good talent that will actually have an instant impact rather than drafting more and more of these guys that are going to be project players for them. Jake Luton, another six round quarterback. Who, how much is that guy going to help you? You're just going to have a bunch of carbon copies of Gardner Minshew lying around and you're hoping you're starting the right one on any given day. No, come on, Jacksonville. We need something better. You gave him a B minus. I'm going to give Jacksonville a C. They should have been unlo- unloaded Yannick Ngakwe. For the sake of optics, I really hope what you were talking about with Seattle turns out to be the case as far as a landing spot and the logistics that had to go into making that work. But for me, Jacksonville did not do the best with this whole process. We got to move on. Houston. We're not going to spend too much time on Houston because they traded away all their picks. But the Houston Texans, Michael, what can you tell me about their draft over the weekend? Well, they made a whole uh, five picks in this draft. Ross Blacklock, the D-tackle out of TCU. I think that's a a good player. We both kind of viewed him as a a late first-round talent. So 
good value there with your early second round pick. Uh, Isaiah Coulter in the fifth round I like as a wide receiver, potentially a project. They take an edge rusher in round three, a tackle, which they just they paid – by the way, they paid Laramie Tunsil about $23 million per year in that big contract extension they signed this weekend too, which is just an atrocity. And I don't know if you saw this, Laramie Tunsil didn't even have an agent negotiate that contract. He just negotiated himself because they all know they can fleece Bill O'Brien. It's just absurd how incompetent this guy is at everything. Um, but overall, I gave their draft a C. It was very mediocre. I like Blacklock. I like Coulter. But they didn't have a lot of picks. And they traded DeAndre Hopkins away for Beanuts. So really, the, the Houston stinks. Bill O'Brien's not very good at his job. Really, Bill dis- O'Brien's not very good at any of his jobs. Cause I don't think he's that good of a coach either. <laughs> yeah, so I don't disagree with a single thing you just said. The Texans got a C draft grade. But really, they're the only team that I factored in the trades four guys that are currently on their roster because they shipped off all of their draft picks last August because they were in win now mode. So they traded for Duke Johnson. They traded for Laramie Tunsil. They traded for Brandon cooks over the off season and they Kenny traded in the Laramie Tunsil trade. What? Kenny stills too. in the Laramie Tunsil trade. Yeah, they, they got uh, Kenny stills and they also traded for Gary on Conley. That's a little thing that got forgotten. He's, a pretty mediocre corner, but you have to he factor stinks. him in somewhere. So for the Texans, most of their draft capital was spent on guys already on the roster. And so they had five picks. And for me, they get a C because I think they overpaid Tunsil. But really, when you trade two first-round picks for a left tackle, he is going to have all of the leverage in those negotiations because you look like a damn fool if you're going to let him go after one year on contract after giving up all of that capital. So and great news, they don't have a one or a two next year either. Yeah, so Houston, I think they're a roster that could get very skinny very quickly over the next couple of years. And we'll have to see how they, they already kind of are. Yeah. We'll have to see how they navigate free agency and trades over the course of the next couple of years, because we know Bill O'Brien, despite not being good at it is pretty keen on making roster moves at any given moment. So moving on, we got Tennessee, the absolute opposite of Houston, in my opinion, same division. I think Tennessee has done a very good job of assembling the roster and really uh, rationing their picks and draft capital wisely. I'll get us started on Tennessee. Tennessee Titans were a team in 2019 that I think exceeded everybody's expectations by a mile and a half. They snuck in the playoffs at nine and seven. They got super hot in the second half of the season. Really, Ryan Tannehill played out of his mind for the second half. And on the shoulders of Tannehill and Derrick Henry, they made a deep playoff run, knocked off the Patriots in New England, and they knocked off the Ravens in Baltimore to get to a title game matchup with the Chiefs. And Tennessee, pretty good job with this draft class. Uh, Isaiah Wilson came off the board in the first for them. They needed a tackle with the departure of Jack Conklin. They got one. Uh, He's a little raw, but he projects as someone who can start on that offensive line for a long time. Christian Fulton was someone they took at 61, and he's a defensive back that Mike and I thought profiled kind of similarly to A.J. Terrell who went at pick 16 overall. So the disparity between the first and second round corners, as we alluded to when we recapped the first round, wasn't a whole lot. Christian Fulton easily could have gone first round. He fell to 61, and the Titans got a guy who projects to the next level pretty well there. Darrington Evans, the running back they took in the fourth round. I liked that pick a lot. He's one of the few guys I actually knew about that Mike didn't. 
And that made me feel like I was flexing some sort of, you know, mind authority over Mike. But Darrington Evans. You I think just didn't back, recognize the name. I knew him. Let's not get too far out of ourselves. Darrington Evans out of Appalachian State, new to the FBS Appalachian State. We love, love the Mountaineers. He is Ahmad Bradshaw. That's the best NFL comparison I can give. You think back to the New York Giants offenses of about circa 2010 when they were making Super Bowl runs. Brandon Jacobs and Ahmad Bradshaw were smash and dash. You know, they were... Called them earth, wind, and fire, and it was Bradshaw, Jacobs, and I want to say there was a guy named Ware. I don't remember his first name, though. Fact check me on those running backs. Earth, wind, and fire. Um, I called them smash and dash because it featured... Brandon Jacobs, who was just a 240-pound boulder in the backfield, and Ahmad Bradshaw, who was a lot more agile. He was a scat back. He was quick. And really, Darrington Evans makes a seamless replacement for Deion Lewis, who the Titans lost this offseason. Can't confirm. Earth, wind, and fire. And it was Brandon Jacobs, Ahmad Bradshaw, and Derek Ward. I can't believe I remember that. Derek Ward. Not where. Derek Ward. But, yeah, that, that backfield – Obviously, Derrick Henry is going to lead the charge here in Tennessee as long as he's under contract. Darrington Evans is a is an Ahmad Bradshaw clone, in my opinion. He makes a perfect replacement for Deion Lewis. What do you got for the Titans draft class here? I gave him a B, Michael. I also give the Titans a B. I like what they did. I like all three of the guys they took at the top, I think, are all immediate impact players. Wilson should come in, compete for that starting tackle spot that Conklin vacated. They have Dennis Kelly, who they signed to a little bit of an extension. Uh, so he, he might start immediately, but Wilson should be right in that mix competing for that starting spot. Christian Fulton is a guy I was pretty high on, and he fell very late in the second round. Uh, he was like my he was in my top five corners overall in this draft class. He was my number four corner behind Gladney, C.J. Henderson, and Jeffrey Okuda. So for Fulton to fall as far as he did was pretty remarkable. Titans get a really good player there, replace Logan Ryan, who is – I believe he's still currently a free agent, if I'm not mistaken. Darrington Evans, like you said, he'll, he'll come right in, compliment Derrick Henry really nicely, and he should be – they took him in the third round, by the way, not the fourth, late third round for Evans. And he should he should replace Deion Lewis pretty easily, and then they take a, a few project players late. Cole McDonald, they had the you know, the quarterback in there with Mariota leaving the team. So, overall, I gave him a B as well. Really like the Fulton pick. And just, yeah, overall, really nice class by uh, Tennessee. We're not going to butt heads too much there. Let's move from south to north, and we got the Cincinnati Bengals, who I think strung together a pretty interesting class at the top of their board. What can you tell me about the Cincinnati Bengals and the outlook for this 2020 draft class? First of all, Cincinnati Bengals are one of the – they might have been the only team who had seven picks, and it was all seven of their own picks, and they used all seven of them. They had the first pick of every round, and they used it every time. I like what they did here. I think they put together a really good class. I gave him a B plus. Joe Burrow, obviously, top quarterback on the board. Andy Dalton stinks, so you need a new quarterback in there. Joe Burrow, day one starter, good pickup. T. Higgins, I marked him as their worst pick, mostly because I just don't love the value there. I think Michael Pittman, who went a few picks later, is better than T. Higgins. And 
the, I think the good news is, you know, they talked a lot about how Joe Burrow, T. Higgins had been working out together. So f- some familiarity there. And, and, you know, we've been talking about it on a couple of our episodes now with this shortened off season, you want guys who are familiar with the offense you're running. Well, you want guys who are familiar with each other too. If you're going to prepare your rookie quarterback with a receiver, it can't hurt to be a guy that he's been throwing to all off season. Logan Wilson at the top of the third round is a linebacker. I really, really like. I think he is every bit as good as Seattle's first-round pick, Jordan Evans, an inside linebacker. He's going to be a day-one starter for a Bengals linebacking group that is awful. And then they added a couple more linebackers later, Akeem Davis-Gafter and Marcus Bailey. Marcus Bailey in round seven. I'm going to tell you right now, Curtis, he might be a day-one starter for the Bengals too. The Bengals did a great job with that linebacking core. I think they upgraded it across the board. They also add uh, Hakeem Adeniji big tackle. He's more of a project guy. And they also get Khalid Kareem, a pass rusher. I think the Bengals did really well. They gave him a beat boss. They made the correct pick at the top. They didn't screw up Joe Burrow. So that's, that's a win Cincinnati. You know, we thought they might find a way to screw that up and the rest of the class. I think they filled out the roster nicely and they definitely addressed their biggest weakness, which was their linebacking core. Quick fact check on the fly. Seattle's number one pick was Jordan Brooks, not Jordan Evans, but I agree that Jordan um, Evans is the Bengals linebacker. That's why I said that. I got yeah, confused. To- totally okay. We're just here for uh, accuracy and not fake news. So we got uh, Jordan Brooks going to Seattle. We got Logan Wilson joining Jordan Evans in Cincinnati. Again, I can't ag- I can't disagree with anything you just said. What what a letter grade did he give the Bengals? B plus. B plus. They fit in for me as a B. Um, just because I think Burrow and T Higgins are both going to have some growing pains. I think T Higgins, I wasn't super high on him. He was definitely falling down my board from somebody that I originally wanted the bills to take before they traded their number 22 pick to the Vikings. He fell down my board pretty quickly because I know that Brandon Bean attended that pro day at Clemson in late February and was absolutely disgusted with T Higgins. So I trust Brandon Bean a lot and looking at the film of T Higgins, he he needs some work. He needs to uh, get better off the line of scrimmage. He needs to be able to create some separation a little bit better. He's a big body. He can make the contested 50-50 catches. He's really good after the catch. He's a physical runner. So he's an interesting prospect. I think 33 that started that second round was probably a good area for him to go so that uh, expectations aren't sky high for him. And A.J. Green is somebody, I think, who can be a really positive influence on his development. So maybe an ideal landing spot for T. Higgins. And we watched during the draft, they covered a lot of uh, his family backstory and his mom's story. And based on, you know, all of the struggles that this young man has endured, I don't know how anybody can actually root against T. Higgins to achieve some NFL success. So T. Higgins, he's growing on me. If he has a good first year, I'm probably out there buying the jersey. We'll see how it goes. Joey Burrow, obviously, was the first quarterback to come off the board. We all knew it was going to happen. That was about as surprising as uh, the sun rising in the morning. So not much input there. I think you touched on Akeem Davis-Gaither, another guy out of Appalachian State. He was taken in the fourth round, and I liked that pick a lot. Akeem Davis-Gaither, he was a guy I saw on a lot of boards as high as number 50 overall. And this being such a deep draft class, a lot of the guys in the 25 to 50 range fell down into the fourth and fifth rounds, and he was one of them. So from the perspective that the Bengals needed linebackers, they definitely did a good job addressing those needs. So Cincinnati Bengals for me, not quite a B plus. I gave him a B. I think that fan base has a lot to be happy about moving forward. Uh, Let's talk about Cleveland. 
fun times in Cleveland today, Michael. The Cleveland Browns, and I can't remember saying this in recent memory because of the dysfunction that has existed in that organization. The Cleveland Browns had their best draft that they have had in a long time this year. I don't know if you agree with me. That's my initial take. What are your thoughts? Cleveland Browns got my second highest grade of any team in this draft. They got an A that was tied with the Dallas Cowboys for the best grade I gave anybody. I think they absolutely hit it out of the park. Jedrick Wills, day one starter, offensive tackle. He's, he's a guy who's going to be a future Pro Bowl or potential All-Pro blocking for Baker Mayfield, who had about a quarter of a second to throw the ball every time he dropped back last year. Grant Delpit. You know I love Grant Delpit. He was one of my guys in this draft. I was actually hoping he would somehow fall to Minnesota the entire start of that second round. Cleveland picks him up. He's going to be an absolute stud. I had a first-round grade on him, and I think if you asked me a year ago, he would have went top five in this draft. Guy's an absolute stud. He played hurt all last year, and I think he has the potential to be maybe the steal of this entire draft. Jordan Elliott is a really, really solid interior lineman for them. He should step right in and be a part of rotation immediately. Jacob Phillips is a tackling machine out of LSU. You know, he's not the talent that Patty Queen is necessarily, but he was all over the field for LSU defense as well. Harrison Bryant was probably my number two tight end on the board. The Browns don't really need a tight end, but he's talented, so I can't be that mad at it. Nick Harris at center, nice player. He'll some in as a, as a backup lineman, most likely. And then Donovan Peoples-Jones is, once again, one of the steals of the draft in round six. That's just one of those cases where we just had too many damn receivers to draft and not enough spots for him to go. And so Cleveland just sits in round six and says, oh, we'll take Donovan Peoples-Jones, who me and you talked about a month ago as a potential third-round pick, and he goes near the end of day three. He might stop in and be a starter, I think, in Cleveland potentially is, you know, next to Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham even though they're probably going to use five tight ends since they drafted another one. But he's a guy in three receiver sets. He could be on the field right away. So the Browns absolutely hit it out of the park. I think they got a couple studs at the top, and they got a lot of guys who can contribute after that. Excellent job by Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry. That, that does an excellent job summing it up. I think Wills and Delpit were both great, great value picks in the first couple rounds. Harrison Bryant, this pick initially was a little bit curious to me. Because they have a tight end room that we talked about being as one of the better in the in the NFL between Hooper and David and Joku. What this pick signified for me was one, the Browns were drafting best player available at the time, and two, which is how you should draft. Yeah, uh, ag- agreed. Two, they kind of wanted some David and Joku insurance. I think they want to run two tight ends out there a lot this year, and David and Joku has not been able to stay on the field the last three years. So Harrison Bryant out of FAU should be a guy who comes in, can learn a lot from Hooper, learn a lot from Njoku. When Njoku inevitably gets hurt, he can slot in there at tight end two, get some reps in, be another weapon for Baker Mayfield. I like it a lot. And, uh, yeah, Donovan Peoples-Jones, dude's an athletic freak. He's going to be jumping, you know, Lambo leaps in, the, in Green Bay. He's going to be jumping into the second deck when that guy scores touchdowns. I think his vertical was 42 inches at the combine, and uh, he's an exciting prospect for my money. So put him on the board. We like Donovan Peoples-Jones a lot. Moving right along, we have the team I thought had the best draft in the Baltimore Ravens. What are your thoughts on Baltimore, Mike? What can you tell me about this draft class? 
Yeah, so Baltimore, for me, got the third highest grade on my board. They got an A-. minus. Uh, a draft class I really liked overall. I think they got a lot of guys, and, you know, it really could be an A. A-, minus, A, could have went either way. But one of the best draft classes on the board. We'll start with Patty Queen. I don't want to spend a lot of time on him because we talked about it in round one. He's an, in- an impact on the inside linebacker. I don't like drafting running back. J.K. Dobbins was their worst pick. But he's a good player. He's going to be productive, and he'll run for a ton of yards playing next to Lamar Jackson and with Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards and Justice Hill, and he'll overtake all of those guys probably by next year. Justin Metabuki is a guy who's going to come in. He can He's a pass rusher from that D-tackle spot. He might move to end in the Ravens' 3-4 scheme, so we'll have to keep an eye on uh, where they place him out there, but he should be a good pass rusher for them. Devin Duvernay. 100-catch burner out of Texas. I hate Texas, but he was a good player. He always beat up on Oklahoma. He's going to be another, you know, weapon for Lamar Jackson. Malik Harrison's a tackling machine inside linebacker at Ohio State. They get a couple good linemen to add to what's already really one of the best lines in football. Broderick Washington Jr., another big, beefy guy in the middle for them that can help replace what they lost in Michael Pierce. James Prochet is a guy I really like at wide receiver. He's a steal in the sixth round. He's a guy who really could have a, a pretty immediate impact in the Ravens wide receiver room. And Geno Stone, Curtis, Geno Stone in the seventh round might have been the steal of the draft. Geno Stone is going to come in and in a very deep Ravens secondary, he will get some playing time this year. And he may very well end up being the guy who replaces Earl Thomas, who is aging, of course, only has, I think, one more year left on his deal in Baltimore. Geno Stone, round seven, absolute steal. He's a great coverage guy, and really he's an NFL-ready product that fell to round seven in just such a tremendously deep draft class. Where no one wanted safeties, by the way. I don't know what everyone's deal is with safeties. I feel like it's maybe one of the most valuable positions on the defense in the modern NFL, and nobody wanted to take one in this draft. We talk about good organizations doing good things. What's the best thing you can do in an NFL draft? It's not overthink the thing. And so Patty McQueen, I love this guy. He's a stud. He's a stud. It's a dream scenario that you fell to Baltimore at 28. And J.K. Dobbins, Mike hates running backs that aren't Jonathan Taylor. I was licking my chops at J.K. Dobbins going to Baltimore because of the landing spots for these running backs – coming up uh, in this year's class the two most attractive options were Baltimore with how they shaped that offense as a as a run first but really dynamic scheme for Lamar Jackson to thrive in they averaged over 400 yards per game last year and that was a pretty even split with over 200 yards rushing and 200 yards passing every game so or on the average so Baltimore is a really good scheme fit for J.K. Dobbins. You fantasy footballers out there, keep an eye on him. He's going to replace Mark Ingram. For too long, I project him as the running back one as soon as 2021 hits on the calendar. And and the receivers that you mentioned, Duvernay and James Prochet, if you looked at Baltimore's roster coming into the draft, Willie Sneed was never going to last as the guy number two on the depth chart beside Hollywood Brown. So, couple guys who figured it instantly slot in ahead of Willie Sneed and a couple more weapons for Lamar Jackson. What more do you got for me, Michael? Two quick uh, notes. One, watch out for Miles Boykin this year. I think he also might pass Willie Sneed on the depth chart. I've heard a lot of talk out of Baltimore that they expect him to take a big leap up this year. He's another burner, ran a 4-4. He's six foot four. made a couple big plays last year. I expect him to get more playing time wide receiver as well. And my other note on Dobbins, just an interesting note, 
J.K. Dobbins, among all the running backs, had the most RPO carries of any of the running backs in this draft class, and the Baltimore Ravens had the most RPO run plays of any team in the NFL last year. So you want to talk about a great scheme fit. He's, he, he knows the scheme pretty much perfectly, ran at Ohio State. It's going to be an absolutely perfect fit for J.K. Dobbins. Yep, so Mike can sit there on his hands and he can – he can talk badly about the running backs that get taken in the first two rounds of the NFL draft or at any point in the NFL draft. Could have just taken him around four, though. But J.K. Dobbins was not going to be there in round four. So round two, but he pick should 55. be. Nobody should be taking him. Round two, pick 55, J.K. Dobbins. Great fit for the Baltimore Ravens. They get an A from me, one of two teams that I was happy to give an A of this NFL draft. Moving on, Pittsburgh Steelers. When we talked about the NFL draft preview, first episode of the podcast, I asked you, what was a team that needed to knock this out of the park, this whole draft? And you said the Pittsburgh Steelers. Did they do it, Michael? No. But uh, they picked up a couple of nice players. Chase Claypool, uh, I think, was their best pick. He's a nice player. He should slot right into where James Washington was doing nothing and produce pretty immediately with Ben Roethlisberger, a big body burner for the Steelers. Alex Highsmith, nice edge rusher. I don't think it was their biggest need at that spot. So he's a nice player, but I don't know how much of an impact he has right away. Anthony McFarlane Jr., another interesting pick. I'm not – once again, we don't like running backs. I think he was their worst pick because I don't really think they need a running back. I like Benny Snell, James Conner, even though he can't stay healthy really. Uh, you have Trey Edmonds there who – like I feel like if you could put anybody in that backfield, they're going to be good. So I just don't know why you need to draft a running back. You could take – take guy off the street, put him in Pittsburgh's backfield, he's probably going to rush for 100 yards. Like, that's just how their offense operates. They get a guard. Uh, Antoine Brooks is a nice safety uh, late in the draft. And Carlos David, he has a cool story. Both of him and his brother, who were both adopted, and they both got drafted in this draft in the sixth and seventh round, respectively. So that was a, a cool day three note. But I don't think he's going to have a big impact. So, overall, I gave the Pittsburgh Steelers a C. But they did give Ben Roethlisberger a couple new weapons. Not the, not the worst draft in the world, but it's a C. It's a, it's a mediocre draft. Carlos Davis, by the way, not David. Sorry about that. Carlos Davis. So, again, difference of opinion on running backs. I gave the Steelers a B-, and that's probably reflected in the, uh, in the fact that I tend to like running back picks where they, they make sense to me, and Mike hates them under all circumstances. So Steelers probably come John in right Taylor, around. Great pick. The Steelers probably come in around a C plus. I swing them up a little bit because I'm a running back guy. Mike isn't, so he gives them a C. But Anthony McFarlane Jr., I think he's actually a useful addition since James Conner runs so physically. He just can't stay healthy. And I think for my money, Anthony McFarland is better than Trey Ambins. He's better than uh benny snell mike is silently booing me it's fine i'll just say for my evaluation of benny snell last year my evaluation of mcfarland this year i believe snell was the better player and he also has a year up on mcfarland on knowing the scheme already so for my money i think snell is the better back right now than mcfarland personally and that's valid but if you talk about best player available there in the fourth round if mcfarland was the top of the draft board that's a value. That's a valid pick if for me. Farland was the top of their draft board, then their draft board stinks. Fair enough. That's, that's my your opinion. Uh, Chase Claypool, I think Mike is actually higher on him than I am. I love him as an athletic freak, and I think that Pittsburgh's a wide receiver factory. We talked about that a couple days ago, me and Mike. 
Chase Claypool is an athletic freak. He gives you the option to move Juju Smith-Schuster back into the slot where he was best as a rookie and play Claypool and Deontay Johnson on the outside. So that's a big plus. But he's definitely a project. So it's tough to judge how instant he will have an impact in that wide receiver room. And Alex Highsmith, quick note on him. He was uber productive at Charlotte, and I think he was uh, an East Coast version of Curtis Weaver, who Mike liked a lot coming out. So we'll talk a little bit more about Weaver here coming up when we get to the Dolphins. But uh, Alex Highsmith, I like that pick, round three for them. Uh, Put him on the opposite side of TJ Watt and let him do work. My last note, you said Claypool was a project. I think – he was uber productive at Notre Dame, and if you can tell me the Notre Dame quarterback is, I'll be impressed because you probably don't know it. So he was productive in a Notre Dame offense that is not usually a proficient passing offense. I think he can step right in in Pittsburgh. You know, may, all right, I'm not gonna say right in only because of the shortened off season, but by about week three, Chase Claypool is gonna be starting on the outside and making big plays downfield. We're gonna watch Ben Roethlisberger slinging the rock 50 yards to a Claypool running wide open because Pittsburgh, it could be me running wide open. This is what the Steelers do out there. Wide receiver factory. They push him out every year. Somehow James Washington is just the only guy who couldn't figure out the Steelers wide receiver factory. Shame on him. Hate that for James Washington. Quick note, Notre Dame quarterback the last three years while Chase Claypool has been there. Brandon Wimbush from 2017 and 2018 and Ian Book in 2018-2019. So Google is free. We love that for me. Moving on, we got the AFC East. Let's begin with my Buffalo Bills. And I know we're going to have some really fired up Mike Rose takes because the Buffalo Bills are the team that selected Jake Fromm. So preface, <laughs> Bills fans, my co-host here might be tearing us a new one based on Jake Fromm being added to the roster, but we'll see what he has to say. Let's start with the positives. Zach like positives. is a stud, and he's a steal in the third round. Wait, oh, you like a yes, running back? Running back. Breaking like a running news. back. Because guess what? Zach Moss is every bit as good as J.K. Dobbins, and all of these running backs, not named Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor's an option, but he's as good as any other running back in this class. They give him a round three. That's a better value than the idiots who took running backs around two. Gabriel Davis out of UCF. He's a big play receiver, and he's a big body receiver. He's a burner. That's a good pickup for them. Tyler Bass, the kicker. We're going to talk kicker for the first time on the show, Curtis. He's going to win the kicker job this year. I'll just tell you that right now. He's got an absolute you know, boot on him. He's big time leg. He's going to step in. He's going to beat Stephen Hauschow for the kicker job. Isaiah Hodgins, another nice receiver. I like him. He's going to be battling for one of those last roster spots. I think he's got a good shot of winning one. Now for the bad news. A.J. Panessa. I don't like where they took him. I, I wasn't very high on him. They get him late in the second round. I know a lot of Bills fans were happy about that because of projected first-round pick. I had him as more of a third-round guy personally when I evaluated him, uh, which is a lot lower than a lot of people had him. I, I know I was <laughs> the consensus on that one, but that's just kind of where I have AJ Epinesa. Jake Fromm. Let's let's get into it. Jake Fromm. So let's just start with just the first thing that makes absolutely no sense to me, Curtis. When you want a backup quarterback on your football team, we talked about earlier, Jake Eason plays a lot like Phillip Rivers. If you go down to Baltimore, Robert Griffin the third plays a lot like Lamar Jackson, right? So if Lamar Jackson were to get hurt, you'd put RG three in and you know what you could do? You'd run the same offense. You wouldn't have to change your thing. Jake Fromm could not play farther from any quarterback in the entire National Football League 
you that has a starting job than Josh Allen. Josh Allen, rocket arm, great athlete. You know, he can he can make all the throws. He's just probably going to miss them because he's super inaccurate. Jake Fromm is also super inaccurate. They have that in common, at least. Except he has a noodle for an arm. I think Tom Brady at 48 is going to outthrow Jake Fromm if he wants to. He's wildly inaccurate. He can't move. Really, the only positive thing I can say about Jake Fromm is he's really smart because he lacks any physical tools necessary to play the sport of football at a high level. And if he didn't play at Georgia behind a, a first-round offensive line every year, you know, both his tackles just went in the first round, in case anyone didn't see that, and a bunch of first-round running backs in the backfield. Every running back that's ever been in Jake Fromm's backfield is in, in the NFL. And, you know, throwing a great wide receivers and a great defense behind them, and, all the, and, you know, the guy just underwhelmed at every possible turn. It got worse every year. And the Bills take him in the fifth round. And you could say, well, Mike, it's the fifth round. How bad can it be? And I'll tell you how bad it can be. Jake Fromm doesn't even belong in the fifth round. He probably doesn't even belong in the sixth round. And I don't care if you saw the evaluation where people were like, Jake Fromm could be a second-round pick. No. That is wrong. He is a terrible quarterback. He has no business going that early. The fifth round is still too early. The Bills, I don't even know if Jake Fromm will make the roster because he's probably not even better than Matt Barkley, and Matt Barkley stinks. And the only reason Jake Fromm came out into the NFL draft this year is because if he stayed one more year, he wouldn't have gotten drafted. He wouldn't have gotten drafted next year because he would just have another 12 games on film of being absolutely exposed against SEC defenses, and Georgia wasn't going to have – this is probably going to be the weakest Georgia offense in a number of years, and Jake Fromm was going to look like the mediocre talent that he is. And my last parting thought, and I'm going to end it on a positive note, Jake Fromm is going to make a great offensive coordinator one day, but he's never going to be a good NFL quarterback. So I had in my notes – that the Bills did a great job of playing both sides of the Jake Fromm debate because Jake Fromm haters couldn't complain too much about where he was taken, and Jake Fromm stands will think he's a steal in the fifth round. But I was clearly wrong because we just listened to my co-host go on a five-minute tangent about how much Jake Fromm just fucking sucks. So throw that note out the window entirely because apparently Jake Fromm is single-handedly going to be the downfall of the entire Buffalo Bills organization. No one's saying that, but it's to not Coros. a good pick. It's a waste of a pick. We don't like wasted draft picks. By the way, I gave the Bills a B-, and it's not – the Jake Fromm really didn't affect this grade that much. Uh, it's just a matter of I, I didn't love Epeniza, who was their first pick in all of this. But Moss and Gabriel Davis and Hodgins and Bass, I think, are all guys who are going to make the team and have a relatively strong impact this year. Epeniza, I have a feeling he's just going to get lost in the shuffle in Buffalo. I can't see him having too much of an impact. So I think A.J. Epeniza is a, is a good fit because Buffalo is preparing for potential future losses on the defensive line of Harrison Phillips, whose contract is – is running on short, and Jerry Hughes, who's getting up there in years. So, A.J. Epinesa, for my liking, he is a McDermott and Bean guy. He works hard. You know, he, he put up numbers at Iowa. He was, uh, I believe he was, correct me if I'm wrong, second team All-American? Second team? Uh, so I'll verify this information. So, A.J. Epinesa, solid pick. He was projected in the first round on a lot of draft boards. Bills get him at 54. I think the first two picks on the Bills board 
they did really well because they just took the best player available in Epinesa and Zach Moss, who I also love. I think Zach Moss and Devin Singletary could each end up with over 750 yards from scrimmage this year, which will be annoying as hell if you're a big fantasy football guy. But watching the Bills play, they should be one of the better running teams in the NFL. And Zach Moss is a significant upgrade over Frank Gore, who we had at age 36 last year. I love Frank Gore. I love what he brought to the locker room. But that guy is pretty much on his last legs in the NFL. Doesn't have much – Second team All-American for eight. Second team All-American. Put it on the board. Zach Moss, really, he's a punishing runner, and I think he's a perfect compliment to Singletary. And like Mike said, he's probably right there with that echelon of running backs that went in the second round when you look at J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers, and maybe uh, – who, who am I missing? DeAndre Swift. That wasn't Jonathan Taylor. So Zach Moss, really good prospect. We love the Utah Utes putting together some good NFL talent. Uh, Buffalo, I gave the Bills draft a B, uh, and really no complaints here. It's definitely higher if you factor in Stephon Diggs being the Bills' de facto first-round pick. Because it depends Diggs how you feel about Stephon Diggs. Love Stephon Diggs, and you, you're, you've already said you've been on the record as missing Stephon Diggs. Yeah, don't don't even miss that guy anymore because we got Justin Jefferson who he complained about for 10 minutes and then was talked into as a good pick by pick 25. Justin Jefferson's going to be better than Stefan Diggs. Don't at me. All right. Spicy takes. Uh, moving on. Miami Dolphins. They went out first round. They got their franchise quarterback. Good move. Uh, and then, really, the Dolphins draft underwhelmed me until we got into the middle rounds. And I'll touch on that in a bit. What do you think of this draft class, Mike? Love Tua. They had to take him. They did. We talked about that in round one. Austin Jackson, I think, after looking at everything, ended up being their worst pick. I think you could have gotten Austin Jackson in round two. I think you could have gotten Josh Jones in round three. So, really, could have just waited here. Uh, Josh Jones, a prospect I had rated better than Austin Jackson. And then Noah Igbenogany, who I figured out how to say his name, the corner, is going to come in, play their nickel, and, you know, he should be a good player day one. Robert Hunt, tackle. They draft another tackle. He could be a, a potential starter at some point for the Dolphins. Could be a little bit of a project right now. Raquan Davis, a guy who is an interesting pick here out of Alabama because he's a guy two years ago that probably would have been a first-round pick if he had been draft eligible. But every year's production kind of got a little worse. And when you watch the film, he pretty regularly can beat the guy in front of him. And just for whatever reason, he never makes any plays. It's one of the most bizarre things I watched on film with, with a player in this draft. So he goes in the second round. I mean, if, if Brian Flores can figure out how to get him to beat the blocker in front of him and then proceed to make a play, he'll be in great shape. Brandon Jones, safety, he should be a good player. Uh, he's no Minka Fitzpatrick or Xavier McKinney, who they could have taken earlier in this draft, but uh, Brandon Jones should come in and be a nice player. Jason Strobridge and Curtis Weaver, a couple edge prospects. They take in round five. I've talked up Curtis Weaver probably more than any prospect already, so I won't even get into him. But Strobridge at North Carolina he was playing under Mac Brown this year. He was a pretty productive player in the ACC. I think him and Weaver both have a chance to be immediate impact players. They took a long snapper, which is fantastic. I got to be honest, Curtis, when we get to rounds five, six, and seven, Taking kickers, punters, and long snappers, I am behind, I can get behind that because you know what? They got a lot better shot of making your team than the random prospect 
linebacker that you're going to draft otherwise. So great pick. Love Blake Ferguson, the long snapper. And they take Malcolm Perry, who is an interesting player out of Navy. He was the quarterback at Navy. He is one of the all-time leading rushers uh, in college football, or he was one of the leading rushers in college football last year, excuse me. And he was drafted as a wide receiver for the Dolphins. So he could be a, a, a versatile player, maybe run a little Wildcat. The Wildcat started in Miami. Who knows what they want to do out there. Uh, but they didn't have a guy on their roster last year rush for more than 200 yards. And that player, or their leading rush last year was Ryan Fitzpatrick. So, like, they need guys who can do things running with the football. And they also trade a fifth-round pick for Matt Breida, which I think is an interesting note because that gives them a Jordan Howard-Matt Breida duo in the backfield. And I kind of like that combination, Curtis. So, yeah, that's I gave them a D overall in their draft. Yeah, I gave – I was a little bit more bullish on the Dolphins. I gave them a B plus. Going Tua at five essentially ensured that the Dolphins didn't have a terrible draft because no matter what happened after that, they got their franchise quarterback. So, Tua at five. Noah Igba, Igba, Igba not going to be. Igbenogany. Nailed it. Nailed it. Igbenogany. uh, He's growing on me more since I've watched more of his films since he was taken at 30 overall. Still can't say his name very fluently. I mean, it's like I'm speaking uh, Portuguese. For those of you who know me, I speak Spanish, not Portuguese. Uh, Moving forward, we got (laughs) – we got – I think my favorite pick of the draft was Curtis Weaver. And and we talked about him uh, in our draft preview. We talked about him as a guy who we thought could sneak in the tail end of round one, probably was a day two pick. He fell to day three and in the fifth round, when you're taking guys in the fifth round, yes, I can get behind the kicker punter long snapper picks because of the percentages that they make your roster and have an impact. Uh, If you want to take flyers, you might as well sign guys that are undrafted like that in the sixth or seventh rounds. But Curtis Weaver, he's a fifth round guy apparently now who really is a second or third rounder when you look at his production and I like his odds to not only make the Dolphins but to compete for a starting job in 2020 because the tools are there he lacks a little bit when it comes to size he lacks a little bit when it comes to speed off the line but he's got a great swim move the more I've watched on tape the more I like this guy he's productive he gets to the quarterback Curtis Weaver fifth round pick like him a lot uh, was my favorite value pick of the draft, the Miami Dolphins. Give them a B-plus overall. And, yeah, don't be surprised, honestly. Uh, Dolphins did bring in a couple good pass rushers in free agency and Emmanuel Ogba and Shaq Lawson. But don't be surprised if Curtis Weaver and Jason Strobridge, day one, are potentially the edge rushers starters for the Miami Dolphins defense. The potential's and there. They got them, and they got them both in the fifth round. So that's a good draft. Yeah, the potential's there. And so moving on, another team that I had it with a B-plus grade is the New York Jets. Let's talk about their draft class. I also gave the New York Jets a B-plus. I really liked what they did. We'll start at the top where I loved their first four picks. Uh, Makai Becton, we talked about him, monster. I've also been seeing a lot of his tweets on Twitter. He's hilarious, so I love that too. Great personality. He'll be blocking for Sam Darnold for the next decade. Denzel Mims, great weapon for Sam Darnold. He's also wearing number 11, so we love that he's got an edge to him because there was 11 receivers drafted before Denzel Mims, plus Robbie Anderson wore it. So we got the double edge on Denzel Mims. He's playing with a chip on his shoulder already. He's going to make some big plays for the Jets. Ashton Davis, the safety. This is an interesting pick. 
This is a guy, all the safeties were undrafted in this draft. And he's going to be a productive player, I think, day one for the Jets. Out of Cal, solid pickup there. Jabari Zuniga, the edge rusher, he should uh, come right in and compete for potential snaps at that edge rushing spot where the Jets do not have a ton of talent right now. I'm going to skip Will Michael P. Ryan, James Morgan, because I don't think they have much of an impact this year. Although I think James Morgan might have been stealing from the Patriots. I think that's who the Patriots want to take a quarterback. Uh, Cam Clark, solid offensive tackle. Bryce Hall. I think that's an absolute steal in the fifth round. Bryce Hall is a guy who I thought could go in the second or third round at the cornerback position. And he, for whatever reason, fell all the way to the fifth round, pick 13 of the fifth round out of Virginia. He didn't run. Uh, the, the, the knock on him right now is that he's, he's not very fast. He had some injuries. But when he's healthy and you watch his tape, this guy is truly a really solid cornerback. And then the sixth round, they go punter, and I just told you, we love the idea of kicker, punter, long snapper in the fifth and sixth rounds. That guy's going to be the Jets' starting punter probably. So he was also the number one punter on the board, so they didn't screw it up like the Patriots did, taking a random kicker for no reason. So great job by the Jets. I give him a B plus. What are your thoughts? A lot of thoughts. So Denzel Mims, interesting factoid you brought there about the number 11. I like that a lot. It makes me buy into his stock just a little bit more. Makai Becton, I mean, he was a guy number one slash number two uh, offensive tackle for me. We discussed it on Thursday, talking about him and Tristan Wirfs. And Ashton Davis, I didn't know much about Ashton Davis. Went back, watched a little bit of the film from Pitt, California, He's really interesting to me. He seems like a New York Jets kind of guy. He seems like he can learn from Jamal Adams there in New York. So I think they had a really strong first three picks. And then Michael Pirine, who you didn't talk much about, um, can we get a fact check and see if he's related to Samaje Pirine, uh, former Oklahoma Boomer Sooner great Samaje Pirine? I'm 90% sure that that's not true, but I will verify that information. If we can get a fact check on that, that'd be wonderful. But for Michael P. Ryan, I think he was super interesting and definitely uh, makes their backfield a whole lot better behind Le'Veon Bell when you think that last year they had uh, an, a rapidly deteriorating Bill Apollo. And, he is uh, a cousin of Samaj P. Ryan. And another fun fact, he's also cousins with Miles Jack. Interesting. So that is a busy family. Uh, so Michael P. Ryan out of Florida, cousins with Samaje, cousins with Miles Jack, uh, both had varying degrees of success to this point in the NFL. But P. Ryan should give the Jets a huge upgrade in the backfield behind Le'Veon Bell because the ghost of Bilal Paulo was there last year, as well as Ty Montgomery, who at this point, I really don't know why he's still on an NFL roster because at the running back position, he's never been uber effective. Uh, like the Jets class, like the Bryce Hall pick a lot, was wishing Bryce Hall actually made his way to Buffalo with my Bills. One last thing I'm going to say about the New York Jets is that they are an interesting team because they have the talent on the roster to be any team that's on their schedule. It's just a question of if Sam Darnold takes a step forward in year three and if Adam Gase doesn't get in the way of this team's success because my my – pretty uh solidified opinion on adam gase is that the guy is not a very good nfl coach any parting words on the new york jets mike no i think that just about covers it so here is our last team in the rundown for this episode and it is the new england patriots this was interesting the first draft of the post tom brady era and i didn't even know what to make of this because so much was going on 
with Bill Belichick as he was going through this draft. Can you just take let's focus on the players. I'll get into some other stuff with the Patriots when it's my turn to talk, but tell me a little bit about the players they selected and what makes sense and what doesn't. You want me to start with the players? I'm not going to. Best part of the Patriots' entire draft was Bill Belichick's dog. That's that's my first note I'm going to make. Now let's get into the players because that's uh, the only positive that came I'm from actually, the draft for the Patriots. I'm actually Seriously. really upset because shout out Bill Belichick's dog. Um, he's a very good boy. That husky standing, you know, looks like he had a pretty good vertical. Had a lot of discipline sitting in there. Uh, you know, smart guy making the picks. The the camera panned in and had a big Chiron with Bill Belichick, New England head coach, and it was just the Husky sitting very, very properly uh, at the computers. It looked like I had never before envisioned Bill Belichick owning or or being an owner of a dog. That looked like a dog that Bill Belichick would own. It was it was completely Patriot way, all business. Uh, he ended up getting a treat. He's a very good boy. Let's move on with the players. So the players. So the pick that they made while uh, Bill Belichick's dog was sitting at the chair was Kyle Duggar, a safety out of Lenore Rhyme University, which I never thought I'd be talking about a guy of Lenore Rhyme. But I actually did watch some film on this guy. Solid safety. But it was interesting because he went before some other more well-known and proven safeties, but leave it to the Patriots to take the guy that a lot of people haven't heard of. Uh, they take Josh Uchi in the second round as well later on. I think that was their best pick. He has a chance to be an instant impact as a pass rusher. Anthony Jennings, the pass rusher from Alabama. That was the, the one where you talked earlier where the Patriots set the record for most players drafted from one college coach uh, with another Saban player going to New England. Uh, Jennings is an interesting player because he was never all that productive on a loaded defense, so you know, he, he leaves a lot to be desired when you watch him on film. They then trade up for a tight end, and they take Devin Asiasi, who I got to be honest, is incredibly underwhelming when you watch him at UCLA. He was not very productive, and I just don't think he's very talented, and I had no world envisioned him going in the third round. They turn around later in the third round and take another tight end, who I don't think is very good, in Dalton Keene. Their next pick, they turn around and take a kicker that I have never heard of, genuinely. I have no idea who this guy is. Justin Rawasser, but he was he's not better than Tyler Bass that the Bills took. He's not even better than Rodrigo Blankenship that went undrafted, in my opinion. They then take uh, – they close the draft up with three linemen and an inside linebacker. And just overall, this draft was a mess. You know, they traded out of the first round, and they got pretty good value for the pick. It's the pick the Chargers overpaid to get Kenneth Murray at, and they they did nothing with it. And throughout this draft, they traded up, and, you know, I'm like, oh, what are the Patriots going to do? They traded up, and they would just take somebody that stinks. So it was a really bizarre draft. They probably just tanked the whole thing on purpose so they could take Trevor Warren or Justin Fields next year, which, by the way, I have discovered recently another quarterback in next year's draft who might be better going to put this on the record now he might be better i have to watch more film than trevor warrants or justin fields okay and we'll talk about him on another day but something to you know keep in the back of your mind overall this Patriots draft stunk i give it an f one of two teams that got an f from me disaster but bill belichick's dog did, did he did a good job he's a good boy uh for me the kyle duggar pick was a little suspicious uh because yeah, it just kind of signified to me that the tank was on because if you're trying to win now, you don't take Kyle Duggar there. 
he's a project. He came from a small school. Doesn't have the immediate impact to me as I, I would like to hope that if he was still on the board, Xavier McKinney is the pick there. But Antoine Winfield Jr. was still on the board when they took Kyle Duggar. So I didn't really understand it. And then, yeah, that stretch from the third to the fifth round where they picked two tight ends and a kicker was particularly uh, – Two bad tight ends. They didn't pick any of the yeah. tight ends that, like, these are, like – when I tell you bad tight ends, like, I'm not just being like, oh, you know, these are, like, my, my fourth and fifth tight ends and they took them as, like, the second. These are, like, my ninth and tenth ranked tight ends on my board that they took in the third round. It just made no sense in a draft where a, a, a guy, the, the tight end out of Washington, Bryant, who I had as a, a top six tight end on the board, he didn't even get drafted. You could have signed that guy as an undrafted free agent. Instead, you traded up to take Devin Asiasi. Yeah. I don't know what Belichick is up to. However, I'm not ready to question him when time after time he has proven to be a brilliant GM. But this whole class signified one the tank is on they want trevor lawrence or justin fields two this year is going to be an even beyond the tank being on the patriots offense this year is going to stink because they have brian hoyer jared stidham they're at quarterback the patriots are one of two teams who punted on wide receiver entirely which is curious because julian edelman is about 48 years old and Nikhil Harry, who was the first-round rookie last year, he showed a little bit of, you know, a flash here and there with Brady, but you have to wonder how much he's actually going to be able to develop with Stidham, with Brian Hoyer. I mean, all of this is moot if the Patriots sign Andy Dalton on a one-year prove-it deal and then go 12-4 and four somehow because Belichick well, Andy is Dalton's brilliant. not a free agent. But, well, yeah. if they trade for Andy Dalton uh, or sign Cam Newton, which, spoiler alert, never going to happen. It was just awkward. You gave him an F. I was a little nicer. I gave him a D plus. I couldn't fail him with Belichick's dog making the cameo appearance. You know what? I got to say another thing. I'm real sick and tired of everybody giving Bill Belichick the benefit of the doubt because he's won so much. Because the reality is Bill Belichick in the draft stinks. He hasn't had a good draft in a number of years. And really, Bill Belichick's a, a great Head coach, probably the greatest head coach of all time. And I told you the hot takes were coming today. Bill Belichick stinks at drafting. He can't draft a guy in the first round, which is why he trades out every year, because he never drafts anybody good. And he hasn't had a good class since, like, 2015. Guy's a disaster the last couple of years making these draft picks. The most impactful player, I'm, I'm looking at the last three drafts that he's made, the most impactful player on the board is Sony Michelle, who me and you both agree is not very good. So I just don't really understand where people – like, I get it. Bill Belichick is great at finding guys who are undervalued in the NFL. His scouting of the college game is not good. He is not a good college scout. And the New England Patriots, time and time again in recent years, have not drafted well. And that is a big reason why Tom Brady is not a New England Patriot anymore because the entire roster of players – think of the core of the New England Patriots of the last five years where they've won their three Super Bowls. It's all guys who are old now. It's guys who have been there for years because they haven't added any fresh blood. And so it's guys who were Patriots for life or guys they added through free agency. They have not drafted any good high-end young talent to add to this roster in probably five years. And that is why this roster is devoid of high-end talent at this point because it, this would be the window where those guys would develop into top-end players. And they haven't because none of them are there. Valid. 
And really, I think Belichick is also a guy who, if you draft someone mediocre, he still maximizes the talent that's there. So they, they, they're a really shiny, mediocre piece. So we'll see what the New England Patriots are this year. Quick, Do you have a quick prediction for the Patriots record? I think they're going to win three games. I have them at six and ten. But three games is spicy. I, the, the hot takes are coming. The Patriots roster, to me, right now, I think they have the worst quarterback room in the NFL, which is, is remarkable because if you know how I feel about Gardner Minshew, you realize how remarkable that is. And honestly, I think they have – I think you can make the case it's the worst roster in the entire NFL. And, wow. you know, people will sit here and tell me how great their defense was last year. I think a lot of it was the product of a weak schedule. They lost – like the entire linebacking core from last year. That secondary was really good. That secondary is really old. Devin McCourty, he's like 35, guys. He's not getting any younger. He was drafted in like 2008, the last time the Patriots drafted anybody good. So, like, just give me a break on the New England Patriots. Their Vegas over-under right now is nine. It makes no sense to me. This Patriots roster stinks. It's all going to be on the record, so you can all laugh at me later when the Patriots win 12 games in a Super Bowl again this year for no reason. Patriots are going to win three games. They're going to stink, and they're going to get a quarterback next year, and they're going to be great for another decade. But for right now, they're going to stink. Just for the record, this is coming from the co-host that is a Vikings fan, not the co-host that is a Bills fan. So yeah. not an incredible bias there that you might think, and uh, it'll be fascinating to watch how the Patriots – navigate this transition from Brady to no Brady in New England. Uh, that about does it for our first half of the NFL draft recap. We thank you if you have stuck with us to this point. Uh, do you have any closing uh, closing words for this episode of Guys Like Sports, Michael? I'm um, looking forward to doing the NFC. A lot of good drafts in the NFC and a couple of really bizarre, horrible drafts in the NFC. So we got more rants coming in in the second half of this, and we got more praise coming. Maybe we'll praise your favorite team. Maybe I'll rant about your favorite team. You'll have to tune in to find out. Wow, that was really, really just so well-spoken, Michael. I'm at a loss. Sometimes this guy, Mike Rose, just puts together absolutely gorgeous sentences. Uh, If you don't do so already – Toss us a follow on Twitter. We're at guys like sports underscore. Toss us a follow on Instagram. We're at guys like sports. And uh, stay tuned because NFC draft recap coming at you quick. For my co host, Michael Rose, I'm Curtis Henry. We're out.